What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It Under the Dome edition. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Terrence Tatum. And this is, I believe, week six of COVID-19 social isolation. Yeah. Uh, April 26th at 4.07 right. p.m. PST. Uh, yeah. I, we have to start every podcast now like we're a, a tape in Fallout 3 that someone can document and know. And it's, yeah, I feel like there's it's There's got to be clues to safes and combinations that we've hidden a, things away it's a, in. It's a Bioshock or Resident Evil tape that we've left behind in case someone in the future needs to find this. Right, if they need the heart-shaped key to open the other five drawers in the mansion, they'll know where to look now. Um, the movie theaters are still closed. We are still practicing social distancing. So as such, today we're going to be talking about the Netflix movie, which I guess is an adaptation of a graphic novel. Extraction, adapted yeah. from the Russo brothers' Ciudad graphic novel that I, they wrote several years ago and upon completing began writing this script for it as they had taken off as directors by that point and saw a different opportunity starring Chris Hemsworth and uh, it's number one in the US today on Netflix so that's about as close to box office numbers as you can get. I, I have to that. assume that by the sheer nature of when this is released that they're going to be like, we need to make a sequel. The people love it. But yeah. that's a false read. <laughs> it is a false read. And it's weird now. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. I, they might have had it right before this all started. But the, I feel like the Netflix top ten is a relatively new thing. And in it, it seems like that is what I've been basing my off of. Like, oh, this is now what's top ten in the country. Or what's top five in the country is, is this. And you're right. It's a false positive of what that actually means. Because not everybody... Not everyone is watching Netflix. There's different options. It's only reading what people are watching on this particular network. And everyone's forced home, so this wouldn't be a, a, an equivalent of what a normal world would be. Yeah, like, I just don't know that I believe people are actually watching Extraction and not just re-watching The Office again. Right. Um, but they'll never give us numbers, so we'll never know. <laughs> I also have a weird thing about, like, always it being netflix original stuff as opposed to something else that's in their top 10 i'm like well is this like if mcdonald's came up with a new thing it was like cool mcdonald's fries are number one we also sort of sell burger king stuff but don't pay attention to that this is number one it's like well of course you're going to promote your your new thing as being the number one thing yeah it's sort of like if walmart opened a mall and constantly was saying that their products were the best but they had a target and a best buy in there <laughs> right and they were like no no no, it's fine don't worry about <laughs> any of that this is the best right you know it's but i mean i get it it's the top thing of their originals of their stuff that's mm -hmm. new that's promoting it's a good way to get eyes on it it's an it interesting mark it worked on me i open it up and go oh that's what's what's currently trending i i actually have been doing that too because i'm i'm in between what i was normally was watching and i was like all right let's see what's new and i'm like well let me start with the top 10 on this netflix this netflix thing I'm like oh i've seen that i've seen that what is this um and i was sort of aware of this because i knew that Hemsworth had a new Netflix thing coming out. I didn't realize that it was produced by the Russos, but 
Uh, yeah, this had been in production for a long time under the title DACA. That they were they kind of announced it. I I want to say right maybe even before that, but right around Infinity War Endgame when they were sort of wrapping up their Marvel deal, they got this like everybody who's worth their salt in Hollywood now gets a a Netflix deal. Boy, and uh, yeah, and carte blanche to do whatever they want. So we're going to be drowning in Russo brothers and Ryan Murphy's for the foreseeable future, right, right. Uh, which is fine. But I, it was, you know, published off this graphic novel they were doing. I think they're piggybacking off of a, a kind of a weird idea that I think a lot of people are starting to try to do where they write the source material to prove it works somewhere and then they can kind of adapt it in this weird way like yeah like a Almost like as if like a proof of concept first and then see if people are interested and then move on well it's like they think that it's not the ips that are popular it's just the concept of adapting that iron man would have been popular if it was anybody and they had just said it's adapted from a as thing as long as it's, it was a graphic novel first, people would be like, cool, it's adapted from a graphic novel, so we'll go with it. Yeah, it's it's odd. But what did you think? This is also, at least for me, one of the first big tentpole-type movies I watched on Netflix straight up. I skipped Six Underground and Bright. Yeah, I so I, I'm glad you brought those up, because I've seen them all. I, watched, I didn't see Spencer Confidential, but I did watch... Oh, that wasn't uh, good. <laughs> but I did see Bright and Six Underground, and I felt like this. Look, Michael Bay is always going to put all of his money on the screen. Um, sometimes to an excess, most of the time to an excess. Um, so that felt like a big budget film. But this is the first time that I watched one that it felt like a big budget film that I was actually invested in and interested in, like from start to finish. Um, I liked it. I, I don't think it's. It's not mind-boggling, or, or one of the greatest things that I've ever seen. It's a very basic John Wick, John Wick-esque formula that's going with this, sort of like John Wick and Taken put together with a like Ghost Recon thing. But I oh, dug. I it. have a whole list of movies that will <laughs> yeah. Frankenstein I, together to make this one. Yeah, but I, but I, at the base of it, I dug it, and I think a lot of that just goes one that Chris Hemsworth is a very charismatic person, but I also think that you have a stunts. It's weird that these stunt people are becoming filmmakers because some of them are better than others. But I think when you have the Russos behind you, this stunt person who had worked on Endgame and whatnot made a film that actually was pretty solid from top to finish. It's a B-movie, like, 90s-style action film, and I dug that because sometimes that's all I need to escape for a bit. Well, it's sort of a almost lost genre that I don't think you really get anymore. I feel like now the big bombastic action movies that usually flood the summer, the your diehards and lethal weapons were almost replaced by the superhero genre in the mid thousands. And we started just getting everything with that kind of Marvel coat of paint and these PG 13 movies until we got to the raid and John wick and Mission Impossible sort of started coming back. But even then, it's been so long since we've had a big original IP action movie that's kind of taking all of these lessons from 70s movies, 80s movies, and 90s movies. And what works so well about that is there's a lot of cool cues that they pick up and where it kind of falls flat for me is learning how to connect to this main character because we sort of start the movie off 
in a very generic tropey way. We do the like, oh, they're going to the club and something bad is obviously going to happen here. And it's the drug trade and it's this and it's that and these familiar beats. And when you finally meet Chris Hemsworth, it's a character that I already feel like I know. Like he feels like somebody at a party that I met and just forgot his name, but I've actually a, seen him a hundred times. A prototype of every single '90s to 2000, early 2000s action hero that you like. I know this guy. I may not know this particular name, but I know him from top to bottom. Yeah, you get the kind of oh, he's so like nonchalant the way he jumps off this cliff, and he's the. He's the one-man army that can do everything, but he's apathetic. Oh, and he's got this secret past that we don't know about that he's trying to reconcile with. And he's got a death wish, and he's got nothing to live for. And I just, between the John Wicks and the Logans and Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon, and and even just a little bit of Triple X, I feel like I've met this bit, guy yeah. every summer around June 6th. <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely feel like if, if this was a movie that got commercials in the 90s, it would be definitely be that old tropey Death Wish style, like, he's got nothing to live for. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool, I got it, I got it, guys, I got it. And it never really hits the, like, grindhouse-type camp, right? But they they kind of try to keep it in this weird, like, hyper-grounded, but also, like, John Wickian super violent stunt and it really wasn't until we got to the first car chase that i was hooked in and really realized what i was watching because you're right the roots of this director are stunts the same way that the john wick directors came from the matrix stuntmen this is in-game right. stunts in this and when you see that flourish when he wipes out the first few people and then gets in this single shot car chase with I don't know if it's on a techno crane or if we got I don't know how they editing. filmed that, but my God, that was fantastic. <laughs> it was incredible. It kind of made 1917 look like a bitch. Like, <laughs> it just cranked up the speed on it and just kept going with this force of nature. And that's when I kind of clicked and went, oh, this is the kind of movie I'm watching. It's less of a, a character piece, so it's almost... I'll forgive you for getting really cliche with who he is because exactly. what I'm really watching is a tech demo for what this director can bring to the table. And that's, that's exactly what it had. It's about the same time that it clicked for me because the beginning half of this, you're right, especially when we start with the, the the flashback and then we flash forward and like the time thing. I was like, oh, we've done this before. And I'm like, this is how you're explaining your character. And for the first, I don't know, what, 20 minutes of this, it is a lot of we're trying to learn about this character or we're trying to learn about this kid. We're just placing these pieces on the board. And it's not until we get to that first time where he wipes people out and then we get that, basically what they amount to a 12 minute one shot or single shot. I'm like, oh, oh, this is what we're doing. Well, why couldn't we have started here? You could have gotten rid of all of the other stuff and just put me in here and I would have still been as amped, probably more amped for what I was what I was getting into. Yeah, and that, that's not to say the movie isn't without emotional beats. I thought they did a really, really good job with David Harbour and their relationship and the scene. turnaround you see there really kind of cranked up what was ultimately a, a story we've seen a lot of everybody wants the kid for different reasons. And when you sort of get there, he almost gives you the emotional catharsis that Chris Hemsworth's character never really achieves where he, we really see somebody who's been beat up by this system and wants out and thinks he's doing what's right for his friend yeah. by 
you know, being comfortable with shooting a kid in the face. I think, yeah, I think that whole, everything from Harbor in that, in Harbor's character's home was great to me because I, I think the interaction between Tyler and Harbor's character was great. And I also think the stuff that happened between Tyler and the kid in that upstairs when they were talking about when the kid was just rattling off questions to him, it's a sort of ham fist because you're getting it all at once. And I'm like, I don't know if Tyler, the way that they built this character, Tyler would just expose all of this at this point in time to this kid that he doesn't really know, but it worked in that scene. So I was okay with it. Yeah, I think for that scene to work, you really, really have to buy into this notion that this kid is now what Tyler lives for and lives through and is doing, you know, almost like a J.D. Dr. Cox relationship that he never got to have. And he's trying to do it in 30 minutes. It's that Molly's game scene where the dad comes in at the end and goes, I'm going to give you three years of therapy in three minutes. And I think you either buy into the notion that this is his world and he knows that he's going to die for this kid now. So he's going to try to build him up to be the best kid he can be. Or you're just like, ah, well, I guess we had to put all this information somewhere because once this roller coaster drops, it doesn't really stop. Right. And I, and I think that's why, like, I guess in the graphic novel, the person that Tyler goes to, rescue is a as a young girl and i think that's why it works a little bit better in this film to make if if he lost his son as a young person putting another boy on the board for him to have to say makes that connection a little easier for me to buy because i'm like oh he's just replicating the time that he ran away from his kid uh now he's like i'm gonna run to and help this this one so right and i i mean i gotta say for a movie that and we'll kind of get into the uh quote-unquote adaptation part of this in a few minutes but for a movie that I kind of kept pulling out all of these threads of other movies and ideas I've seen before and beats I've seen before I've never really seen this many uh child soldiers fight Chris Hemsworth and and I love that even though look this is probably the one time that using someone as charismatic and as funny as Chris who in real life is and making him so stoic seems a little bit of a odd juxtaposition because his characters were very one note, but that's the one moment he got to kind of play because those kids kept coming. He's like, what the, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, that was the weird turn for me because the first time we do it, you've got this great sequence with this malnourished, sad-looking child holding a gun and threatening Chris Hemsworth, where, right. you know, when you're a, a freshman, a senior looks like the Hulk. So I can only imagine what he thinks he's doing. Right. And they did such a good job of showing you how the, I don't a drug cartel, drug Lord, whatever the villain title really is manipulating and brainwashing these kids and, and abusing them to do these terrible things for him. And, you know, it gives you that moment where it's like, well, Chris Hemsworth is a killer, but he's up against child killers. So (laughs) he's the hero. Yeah. But then you get this whole action scene where there's like four or five of them and just watching Chris Hemsworth slap the shit out of the children <laughs> and try not to kill them. Yeah. I, I know you're not supposed to laugh at that, but I just couldn't help but laugh at it. Like He backhand slapped one of them so hard, I just fell out. I was like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because you know he's not going to kill him, but he's, like, got to swat him away. It, it, right. 
it's a very interesting thing, but it, it's certainly something in an action movie that I've never seen. And it, I think adds an, an additional like call of duty type challenge to it where it's get through this level, but now do it without hurting these children. Right, like, you're now without gun because you can't kill them. <laughs> it's, it's a very unique way to raise the stakes and, and keep a threat at him because that is where he gets stabbed. And, you know, I think they do a good job too of just showing you through this, what ultimately is only a couple days, I think, narratively. About like a 40-hour run, roughly, yeah. Like, just how hurt he is by the time we get to this bridge. And I was going to say, I, I, I like that, too. Um, they've sort of gotten away from that a little bit in John the John Wick series. He's now become a superhero. But in that first one, sort of like with Die Hard, you felt the pain. So when he got his arm broken or when he's in a sling, you're like, you feel like, oh, he's actually a human. Like, yeah, he can do some crazy, he can kill a lot of people and do a crazy shit because that's his job, but he's also human and can take a butt whooping. And I and I, I dug that we showed both sides of that. Yeah, well, and it was good, too, to watch him complete that narrative arc of, you know, I don't want to say being suicidal, but, like, having that death wish chip on his shoulder and, like, wa watching him... It, it shows, I think, that it's the stuntman is a very good director, and I don't want to discredit anything because I think he did a very good job. But there's some, like, not super deep imagery to it, right, of we're going to watch this kid literally run across a bridge to safety, and he's going to, like, feel completed as if that's right. that visualization is the last point. And we see him, you know, dive into water and meditate, and he falls into water, so you have this at peace moment that works for me i'm a sucker for that right like, like, yeah, is, yeah. i'm a sucker for it but it is on the nose but i think because this is this movie doesn't try to make itself seem deeper than it needs to be and because it doesn't i'm like all right i'll just accept that then that's fine i think that's the other reason it took me a while to get hooked in because it started off trying to be deeper than it was and we had to start on the bridge like in deadpool and have these cut back to this person and you don't know if it's a wife and you don't know if it's his kid and it's on the beach and we don't know what's happening and we have to have these like artsy one-liners about how you know the oxycodone in his room is just another bullet in the chamber and you're playing russian roulette with your career and all of these kind of like you know top heavy things to start this character on his journey that we don't really see him reconcile with at all throughout the movie it's a very interesting arc because i felt like outside of when he just pours it all out to this kid and then the ending there wasn't that much growth like we have a character who starts off being willing to die and then finds something to live for but that doesn't convince him to keep fighting to live he just well, sort of like well i'll just go ahead and die for this kid yeah it's weird too because like i mean that opening sequence was a little heavy-handed with him imagining um his kid on the beach who we don't we don't see his face like we don't see the face until the end when things get rectified for him and then you kind of actually see his face it's like oh that's that makes sense he hasn't he wasn't able to see his kid when he was in pain and then when he sort of lets go he finally is so that worked but it is there are some artistic choices that i think when you get down to it like you could just remove those and just be a straight up 90s style action film and i i would take you i would take you more serious that way if you chose a lane as opposed to start merging that's where it gets a little muddy 
Well, it's a narrative that we understand, right? So we don't really need it to... It hits us over the head a lot in the beginning, and then it executes it much more subtly at the end. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting thing. It almost feels like the director got better as he was making the movie. Of course, right. you know, they don't shoot things linearly, so that <laughs> yeah. we don't know how they shot it. I don't have call sheets in front of me. Yeah. Um, I do also think it's interesting in that bridge sequence when he kind of makes the sacrifice. We had to build up this villain throughout the movie and this other kid who's part of this manipulative system and loses his fingers and now just wants to prove himself to this drug lord. And he's got to pull a trigger on Chris Hemsworth because he made him look like a bitch. And he shows up to shoot him in the back of the neck. And I was like, okay, kid, you didn't really get it because he doesn't even know you did it. Right. (laughs) He didn't stand for bravery. You did it the lamest way. You did it, one, from behind him, and two, miles, like you were some feet away. (laughs) And he had to get whipped up and down this court before you were even able to get him in your sights. Right. Like you didn't. You didn't do anything during this drug lord's respect. You showed him that you're only going to come and play when it's on easy mode. You're only right. going to show up at the bottom of the ninth inning when the pitcher's tired to try to hit the ball. And, and you think about it, the his, the crime lord sniper had already taken the majority of it out of him at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's the guy who gets the seat at the table. He ran. <laughs> you did that guy out on day one. That <laughs> This American sniper sequence at the end was awesome. It was. And just, the the right mix of like John Wick violence, but not quite Tarantino. Like there was a lot of blood and gore, but it was never but it was cartoonish. It was, yeah, so it didn't feel like it was over the top because there are moments when in that first one where he has where the rake gets broken off, and I was like, oh, this is about to get super violent, but it still plays itself like quote unquote. This is sort of sound weird, but tastefully violent. Like it doesn't. I don't need to see the eye being popped. I can just put the pieces together with the editing, and I yeah. get. It. The violence of the action is really where the movie stands out. There were some deaths in this where you really <laughs> felt him get hit. I loved it. Yeah. And that sniper just starts taking pot shots, and you've got him cornered behind it like it's Gears of War. I was all in. That shot. I was really hoping we were going to have this American sniper third act, and it was going to be right. sniper counter sniper. I, I'm telling you, I was glued to my screen when when Tyler threw the kid. It was like, do you trust me? Threw him across, jumped across. And I was like, oh, what is, we haven't stopped moving. Like, what is going on right now? Yeah, that 16-minute shot that we already talked about, I think at one point I, like, checked my phone or made lunch and came back, and I, I had to ask my my roommate and guest of the show, Zane, I was like, did I, did we cut away yet? And he was like, not, you know, there's some tricks, but we haven't fully stopped the shot. I was like, well, my. <laughs> Let's keep doing this. Right. I was like, that's great. They really make you want those villains to die when you, you know, you get there and you see the first one toss this kid off a roof and yeah. the, the sheer ruthlessness and relentlessness of these villains that they built ultimately for a prize that I still am not fully clear what he wanted outside of just to humiliate this dude who was in prison by stealing his kid. Um and and none of them, one of them gets shot in the face. But I, you know, yeah, I wanted a Godfather ending and just watch all these guys get mowed down. That's all I really have to say. Those last few seconds on my overall thoughts of the movie. Unless you want to start talking about this ambiguous ending, or we could talk about the quote unquote adaptations that it's taken. Um, I do want to kind of get on the ambiguous ending a little bit because it was the one thing that kind of 
made my eye roll a little bit. Cause yes. I was like, pick a lane and choose it. Don't believe me on this hanging off thing. Um, and my understanding is because I watched the interview with them while they were social distancing and being asked about it. They wanted this to be an ambiguous ending, which made me a little angrier. <laughs> so let me see if I can pull up the article I was looking at right before we started. Here we go. So Collider posted this. Um, get all the names right. Adam Chitwood on Collider two days ago posted an interview they did with the director where he goes on to say that originally Joe Russo wrote an ending where Tyler explicitly dies. And that was what they wanted to do. Then they tested the movie and right. quote, this is the director's quote. We had a version of the movie and we tested it a lot. And it was not surprising that a lot of people wanted the character to live. Some people wanted him to die. People were torn. It was almost down the middle. We want to appeal to as many people as possible without compromising the integrity of the story. And so we think that a pretty good compromise is to make an ambiguous ending. If people on one hand feel like the story is complete and is a story that is redemption through sacrifice, then for them, it'll be where the kid is imagining Rake standing there. And then now you go, yes, I'm satisfied. If you feel like you love Tyler Rake and you love Chris Hemsworth and you want a sequel and you're like, there's no way you can't kill him, then that's Tyler Rake standing there looking at you. So we kind of purposefully did not pull focus to the characters standing there. He goes on to talk a lot more about they shot multiple endings. They did all sorts of tests. His, the director's original idea was redemption through sacrifice. We get to the end of this arc. He found something to live for. He lived for it, and he ultimately died. Also go on to say that they got a note from Scott Stuber, the executive in charge of original films at Netflix, saying his note to him was that you have to know the difference between an intellectually satisfying ending and an emotionally satisfying ending. And they struggled with that concept of, is it more emotionally satisfying for Rake to live or Rake to die? And truthfully, that vote was that it's more emotionally satisfying if he lives because the kid gave him something to live for and now he's living for that. I have a lot of thoughts on all of that, but <laughs> would you like to go first? So a, 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 a part of that that makes me really angry is the fact that you as a writer and or as a director, depending on who gets the bigger say of how your film comes out, went by uh, a choose your own adventure style of, of ending this film based on the ending of some scatterbrained people who, who are in some test audiences as opposed to you having a clear cut this is the vision that I want for my film. And that just kind of makes everything, all the good good and great stuff that happened in this film kind of for naught because you chose at that point to not stick to your guns or stick to your morals and like, well, I'm just going to appease everyone by appeasing no one. And that's kind of exactly what I was going to say. There's and the old adage of if you make a film, really anything, for everyone, you've ultimately made something that's for no one because you just you're not going to win every time. Right. So I see the stance. I see this from the business side. Right. I fully understand Netflix going, but sequels. Right. Um. So of course you want to keep it ambiguous, and of course you want to do this. I personally have never been a big fan of an an ambiguous ending. I would much rather you sort of like tell me what it is, unless the whole movie is up for interpretation, something like 
us is kind of a an ambiguous ending, but that whole movie is about you kind of piecing together what you think is happening and what you believe. And really, the ending isn't that ambiguous. We lose. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That family gets gets out, and the nation is under a giant yeah. problem. <laughs> Correct. Like, that's not ambiguous. It's ambiguous what it means and what it alludes to and what it represents. This isn't that kind of a movie. This is a, an action movie with a hero and an arc. And we were talking a little bit about overdoing or overdirecting or making your movie smarter than it is. And I feel like that leans into this, where you could have sort of planted the seeds for this kid to almost become a John Wick character. And your sequel would be 10, 15 years later, and he would grow up and go look for this kid with two fingers who shot Chris Hemsworth and all of the other people that are part of this gang and all the other problems in it. Now, I, I kind of like the idea of he gets up and he sees this image of him and he's he's always watching over him and all of this, but it also bothers me that they had to do multiple test endings, which yeah. means these guys really believed in this original hard ending and either audiences didn't understand it or they didn't like it or a little bit of both. And yeah. I think sometimes that's how the movie should be. I think we would be having a much more impactful conversation about the themes in this movie that we haven't really hit on as much because if your theme is redemption through sacrifice and learning to get over your own trauma and learning to have something that's worth living for, ultimately having that be what kills you, those themes don't connect if you walk out bulletproof. And so, if you're going to you know, shoot a guy in the neck and drop him off a cliff and then show him fuzzy in the background, you've also kind of made your grounded movie less grounded. It was a superhero film. Sort of like when we, I mean, I, my complaint with John Wick 3 was when he falls off that rooftop and like ping pongs down the, the alleyway. And then all of a sudden we see him walking again. You're like, well, hold on. So this guy is now superhuman. Um, it was it was weird for me because I was sitting there like, oh, my God, this is a ballsy ending. You shot this dude in the neck and he died. That's amazing. And then we get the, the little button at the end. And I'm like, oh, no, you've just undone everything that I thought was kind of being that special, like, bow for you guys to kind of. This is my claim to fame. We killed our hero and we're going to uh, be this one off. I, I like the idea, and this is the idea that they've been playing with, saying that since we don't actually get focused on him, it could be just kind of like the aura of Tyler or like the spirit of Tyler. Right. Tyler. Fine, whatever. But I still think that's a cheap way to do that, um, considering by that point, some time had passed, and the main person that was the impetus of this film, the villain had already been killed. So it's kind of just like, now we're doing this as a coda because we really have no other way to kind of wrap all this together. And that's disappointing. Yeah, you know, cause you go through this, not long walk, but you go through this walk to have the kid do the same meditative process and get under the water and collect himself and whatever that was supposed to represent for, for Chris Hemsworth's character he's now going through that same process. He's also grieving now. You give him the same impetus that you gave him, gave Chris Hemsworth, by having him have this person he cared about die, and now he, ha he has to now live for that. That, to me, is a much stronger concept than 
I don't know, the shrug emoji. Like, yeah. <laughs> I get it. it. It's fun to have these conversations. And I get when directors in movies and they go, we really wanted people talking about the movie and we really wanted to evoke these conversations of what do you think it means and what do you think it meant and do you think he's alive or not and all of this stuff. But I'm going to use us again as the example because that was really the last time I think I had a movie like that where I really talked about what do you think it is? And every day we got new breadcrumbs. And then I'll use a different example uh, of a movie that we've talked about for years and what things meant and what it represented. And that's Logan, where we did make the decision to kill this character. And we did make the decision to have the girl he was protecting go on her own. We still have those conversations. So to pretend that your movie needs to be ambiguous for for you and I to do a podcast after it is utter nonsense. I think that's what made me because I watched this the 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 writing what you talked about in the video that I watched, and I think that's what my biggest takeaway was. I was like, so you're saying that if you were to kill him and stick to your guns, that a conversation wouldn't be broached by that? Because I feel like I would have a conversation like, oh my god, they had the balls to kill this guy, and maybe this kid picks up the mantle because the, that lady is still alive. Like her, his handler was still around. So she could be like, I'm going to train you. If you, if this is something you want to get into, fine, we can go, we can go down that path. A lot I have of more interesting interest ideas. In that. I have more interest in that than this ghost possible thing in the background. Right. Cause now really what you're setting up, if you do an extraction two, is what Chris Hemsworth does this movie again. Right. Like, there was a lot more interesting narrative to do to move this along. And I know that we live in a world of sequels and reboots and adaptations and we need to set up these breadcrumbs. But I think if you can get creative enough, you have those breadcrumbs. And now you've, to me at least, taken away the motivation for much more because the kid doesn't really have to learn to fend for himself. He has a guardian angel who will John Wick his way through every Call of Duty map win the day. Right. But... That's the ending. The testing process is, I think, interesting because we've seen a lot of good come out of it, I think, where endings like Get Out that were going to be very, very hard end up being kind of the levity and the hope that the movie needs. But it's hard to make those decisions when you're kind of confronted with what 250 people think. Right. There are ups and downs to all of it. Um, And I think I think it's a process that that should obviously that's it's it's nuts and bolts it makes things some things better um i think for me where my brain goes like if you're doing a test audience for a movie that is going to be released not to the masses like this was always going to be a netflix original then you have a little bit more wiggle room to not be as general audience on your ending as you would be if you're releasing this to a major uh cinema chain i think you have a little bit more to play with you like look we don't have to appease everybody or be a quote-unquote four quadrant even though clearly that's not what this film is going for but we can be a little bit more focused in what we do because this is a netflix film and our audience is going to be specifically looking for a type of film that we are giving them um, right and i and i i would i would think that this would be the point to be like all right we can try this with this film because this isn't a hundred million dollar movie this is a 65 million dollar project that we can kind of play with Yeah, it's, you know, they at least didn't do the thing where they assumed they're getting a sequel. Like a part of me thought he was going to come up from the water and get snatched away. And it was going to be a a whole like, oh, well, we got to go to the hospital and get Chris Hemsworth back and make him the bionic man. And this is secretly (laughs) a prequel to Bionic Commando. And 
Yeah. Why not? The one thing that I I really I love about this whole process that this film, because Chris Hemsworth would be considered an A-list star, but he doesn't release A-list movies as far as uh, what he gets as a draw outside of Thor. Like he's had movies like Rush, Black Hat, Twelve Strong, but they've all box office bombed. But I think you can now get in this little real this weird world where outside of the Thor stuff that he does, I mean, even in Black Bomb too, outside of the Thor stuff that he does. Maybe the window would be to be like, let me produce and do these smaller things on Netflix. Since I am a name, people do know me, but they're not going to go to the theater to see me. But they might cut on their Netflix box and be like, yo, Thor's got a new movie out. Let me watch this because I'm at home and I don't have to do anything outside of my norm to watch this. Um, and I think if you're going to have the Russos produce it, like I I think Chadwick's film, the, um, the 21 Bridges or whatever that was that came out, they just kept getting pushed and nobody actually saw when it actually released would have done better had it taken this model as opposed to being released in theaters. Yeah, I mean, we're, we are having a lot of these talks in this COVID-19 world of digital distribution, but the streaming has always kind of been here to stay. And I think when you stack this movie up with a lot of the other Netflix originals, and I can't speak to numbers because they're not out, but we know things like The Kissing Booth and P.S. I Love You, is that the title? <laughs> P.S. I Still Love You, I think, is the second one. But yeah. Sure. For all the boys yeah. I loved before, whatever. They've kind of nailed these like smaller John Hughes female centric fun comedies that people are watching. And right. there's sort of efforts to make these AAA tent pole what would be a franchise building moment if it was at a Paramount or a Warner Brothers haven't really connected. Bright didn't really do it. Spencer Confidential didn't really do it. I don't think Six Underground really pulled it off. If they can kind of keep making more stuff like this, right? I'd all about it. I don't know that I necessarily need it to be a bunch of sequels. I understand that that is probably where it'll go, but it. I would love to once every other week pop on Netflix and just have a what would have been a like Italian job sized movie in the mid thousands or late nineties that probably wouldn't really get attention with a theatrical release, right? Be number one in the U.S. even if it's by a silly metric where you know the guy who's growing the corn is also telling you it's the best selling corn. Um, <laughs> right. But it, I'm okay with that as long as it's an option. And I think that's where we're getting into this world where like people just want different options. And if you give them something that was like, you don't have to go to the theater, we're going to give you a major motion picture release in the comfort of your own home with somebody you recognize. Then a lot of people are going to be like, cool. I mean, well, I mean, we saw it with Trolls 2, right? It made over $50 million video yeah. on demand. And yeah. part of that's the market, and part of that's where we are in the world, and part of it's the Trolls property. But the reality is, is they wouldn't have had that $50 million if they just sat around and did nothing with it. Right. Um, kind of the last thing to touch on then is really whether or not we want to consider this movie original. And by that, I mean we sort of talked a little bit about these this adaptation and, and the roots <laughs> of it and I'm just going to start rattling off things that I found uh, the first bit I'm glad you blinked you're doing that thing where you're very still on Skype and I wasn't sure if it froze so <laughs> no, I'm here. give us a wave <laughs> I think the first one that, that caught me was we're doing these flashbacks of somebody they cared about that's going to motivate this story we see that in Wolverine to a T with Logan and Jean Grey we have a character with a death wish who's drinking and jumping and doing stunts. And Zane was kind enough to remind me that that's pretty much Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon. We've had this character before. We've seen 
this kind of action. We've seen a lot of this kind of setup with these drug lord things in the Bourne franchises. We have a very raid type setup. We have a very John Wick type setup. We open on a bridge just like Deadpool does. These aren't just familiar beats to me. This is copy and pasting from other the, movies the dna like there's parts of this when i was like oh this is like taken where he's going through this whole all these old villages and all these old homes like oh yeah i've seen this but the execution was different enough in the end that but yeah. so what do you think are we sitting on an original movie or are we sitting on something that built itself on the backs of everything that came before it it's funny because that you i would leave that same thing to kind of question a little bit of John Wick and John Wick gets his love of being this big original property. And yes, at that time, considering the world that was around it, it was, and it is. So I think if you're using that because John Wick does borrow a lot of things from old school, more so eighties um, style action films, late eighties, early nineties action films that the property itself is original, but how they go about doing it may not be original, but that's, We've been doing films so long now that I don't know if you can just outright come up with something 100% original in the execution. What's always going to be is the little threads that make you get from point A to point B. And I think for me, this film at its at its base level is an original property because it doesn't borrow from any, well, it's based on a graphic novel that nobody really heard of, but it's based on a graphic novel that they then used themselves to make a film. So I, it's a bit of a cheat code, but I think this is an original thing um, that just happens to have the nuts and bolts of a lot of things that have come before it. I think to counter the John Wick argument, I would say that we also hadn't really seen a world like that before, where we're trading coins and favors and... Right. Sort of this notion of the dog and what that represented and a lot of the hand-to-hand stuff. So they, they built a a universe that we hadn't seen and had aspects of characters where I think Extraction has built a universe that I can download for $30 onto my Xbox and then <laughs> fed a bunch of other things in there. But where you are right is the execution. It is the little things of, well, I haven't really seen an adult smack children around in an action movie and this sort of struggle with should we kill the kid and take the 10 million and I just want out. So this is the solution to these problems. We keep saying we want out. Let's just do one more unforgivable thing and live on an Island forever. Right. That's pretty new. I, I just wish it wasn't also top heavy in this movie. Cause it really does start off with me just being like Deadpool check lethal weapon check the raid check. And until we do this 20 minute one shot, which is always going to be an impressive feat in my book, but it is now like we just saw 1917 and mm. all these other things before. So I think we can try a little bit harder to hit, especially with some of these themes we were talking about and ideas, but I think you're right. A holistically original movie is very hard to do. And I, I am impressed with all the tricks they managed to put into this movie to keep me on a ride that I ultimately did not feel like was unoriginal. It sort of felt like I was on a, a roller coaster with a new coat of paint, but then the roller coaster went backwards and I loved it again. <laughs> right. Except for those wooden roller coasters that do that. Those hurt your neck. But <laughs> do you have anything else to add on top? No, no. I, I, I think um, I'm interested to see more stars doing straight 
the straight to Netflix, Disney Plus stuff um, type of films. Because I think they've all kind of learned that outside of Star Wars, Marvel, and whatnot, you're not going to get to play in those big sandboxes. So let's take $50 million and make something a little bit smaller that my name can sell alone. And I'm, I'm down I'm down for all of that I can take because I miss those middle, middle tier films. Yeah, if this brings back the middle class of movies that aren't big events, I'm all about it. I just, yeah. you know... And it's not an option to go to the theaters right now, so this might be the best time to do it. But right. that is our show, folks, and uh, everybody should stay safe and healthy. They should also leave us a review on iTunes, and then they should follow us on Facebook.com slash group slash Hollywood Already Did It on Hollywood ADI on Twitter and Hollywood Already Did It on Instagram. And we will see you next week. Later. <laughs>